So I'm very thrilled that so many people have joined us today. And I look forward to sharing with you some of my thoughts at this time. And, and more than that, working in different ways together to explore a shift in consciousness that, that this current global situation may be the harbinger of, and that we can experience ourselves right now. First of all, there may be people listening that don't know me. I certainly, I can see many faces I recognize, but I'm sure there's also people that I don't know or don't know me so well. Uh, my name is Jeff Carrera, and uh, I teach meditation and mystical philosophy. Uh, I'm an author and I lead retreats. Uh, I've been teaching more or less full-time since about 2005 uh, in this way, teaching and writing. And so, it, you know, in that capacity over the last two weeks, numerous people have asked me what my, you know, what my perspective was, what my thoughts were on this, on our current situation, this fascinating, tragic, amazing global situation that we find ourselves in and initially my feeling was that i didn't i didn't feel necessarily like i had a whole lot to add <clears throat> uh, i mean i had my opinion of course but what's my opinion worth uh it's just another opinion and a great deal of what i felt i had to say is already being said i mean in the midst of this crisis so many of us are feeling pulled to contribute and to share uh, and to alleviate some of the suffering in, in a variety of, of different ways. And, and we're getting very good advice from, from different sources. Uh, you know, certainly we're getting advice on, on how to be, to keep ourselves safe. And, and I guess I would want to say first off <clears throat> that I, really hope that you're all staying safe and doing the things that are, are being suggested to us <clears throat> as I am, you know, washing our hands, staying indoors, just being very vigilant uh, about not either contracting the virus or spreading it if we happen to have it and don't know it. And I'm, I'm imagining everyone's doing that. And I want to just uh, encourage and congratulate you all for, for that, because that's in its own way, that's probably, that's probably the primary and most important thing that we can do. Uh, because obviously, as we're being told, we need to slow down the spread of this. <clears throat> uh, so hopefully, you know, we can avoid the massive uh, crunch in, to the healthcare system uh, that that we're already beginning to experience. So, so I'm doing that, uh, and I didn't feel I had a whole lot to offer. I don't have expertise in that domain. I'm like you, trying to listen to the best advice I can get uh, and following it. 
but there's other ways that people are helping. I'm, I know many people on this call are, are, you know, we're using these virtual means as we're using today in this time of isolation to connect and to share expertise and wisdom that we might have that might be valuable. I've done yoga classes this week virtually. Uh, I've listened to experts and lectures and politicians virtually. And, and I know many people are offering various forms of help that way. And, and I am too. And of course, other things are happening. I just, I thought I'd name a few just because, you know, this, when I decided that I had something to say about this, the title that came to my mind was opening your heart to the challenge of crisis. Now, <clears throat> we'll get into exactly what it means to open your heart uh, throughout the course of these two hours. But one of the ways I like to express that is a, is a somewhat humorous story from years ago when I was an engineer. Um, so when I was an engineer, uh, I was young, I was probably in my 20s. I shared an office with two other engineers, one who was my best friend. And one was a guy that I didn't know as well, but we worked together, you know, for three or four years. And <clears throat> he was the kind of person that really kept to himself. You know, you couldn't, it was very hard to get to know him. It was very hard to, to make real contact. I mean, we had a professional relationship, but generally speaking, he seemed somewhat depressed and uh, unavailable for much relationship, you know, beyond what was necessary. And then one day he came into the office and I saw him walking down the hall and he just looked at me with a big smile and he said, hi, how are you? And, and the first time he'd ever done anything like that. And my immediate thought was, oh my God, he must have fallen in love. And all day he was so different. And at some point I finally said, hey, how, what's going on? You seem so happy. And he said, oh, I met this girl and da da da, da. And I thought, oh, I knew it, you know? So when we think about opening our hearts, it's often, you know, it's related to love. Love is a big opener. And, and by opening, I mean being available for other people. Now, the interesting thing about falling in love is you don't just become available to the person you fall in love with. You become available in general. You know, you, you, it's, it's difficult to control the aperture of an open heart. You know, of course, a great deal of it is uh, directed maybe toward a single person. But the fact is it kind of spills in every direction. Uh, that's, that's sort of the way it works. So in the current crisis, <clears throat> what, what's generated in a pandemic, we're all discovering what's generated because none of us have actually lived through one before. So this is a learning opportunity for everyone. But what's generated is a lot of fear, uh, a lot of uncertainty. And fear and uncertainty doesn't tend to make you available. It tends to make you unavailable. Right? The, the influence of fear and uncertainty can be to constrict availability. You get more focused in a defensive way. And so 
you know, what I wanted to talk about today, opening your heart to the challenge of crisis. I could have been, I could have called it, you know, opening to love in the challenge of crisis uh, just as easily. <clears throat> and of course, we're all doing this. You know, we're all experiencing both the constriction of fear. I'm experiencing that at times and the opening of love at the, in, in the face of, of this. So <clears throat> in a crisis like this, you know, we're seeing some, I'm seeing some things, you're seeing some things that are really touching. You see that some, sometimes the, you see the, the highest possibilities, the most loving possibilities of humanity come forth in this challenge. So I already spoke about healers that I know that are, that are offering uh, healings. I got one yesterday by phone and it was magnificent to have that hour to just feel the grace of healing energy. Uh, and, and I know many people are offering things of that sort, yoga teachers, uh, people offering talks of all kinds. In addition, locally, <clears throat> there's a group, and I'm sure this is happening everywhere. I happen to live in Philadelphia, so I tend to hear about what's happening here. But there's a group of people who are very busy in their homes uh, sewing surgical masks. And there's a, there's a Facebook group to share information about uh, patterns and materials and where to get them and how to do it and where to send them. Uh, you know, you see people mobilizing in beautiful ways. Uh, there's also a whiskey distillery here uh, in Philadelphia that a few weeks ago just reconverted their operation, their distillery operation, so that rather than making whiskey, they're making uh, hand sanitizer because they thought, you know, alcohol is alcohol. So we could just as easily make hand sanitizer as we can make whiskey. Uh, and they converted because they recognized there was a need for this. Uh, and even more recently, and because my wife is involved with the, with the Philadelphia school system, of course, all the kids are at home right now. <clears throat> and there was a question around offering online education. But the problem was 45% of all the school children in Philadelphia, which is a big city, so that's a lot of kids, uh, don't have internet access. They don't have computers, they don't have internet access. Philadelphia is, is a, you know, relatively a, a socioeconomically challenged uh, area. <clears throat> and because 45% of the kids wouldn't have access, then according to the laws of equal access, they couldn't offer online education because there were too many kids that couldn't get it. So hearing that, uh, the president of Comcast, which is a Philadelphia-based internet company, uh, donated $5 million worth of lap, uh, uh, tablet computers so that every kid in Philadelphia would have one. And then the city is dispersing school buses, which are currently not in use, and parking them in all the neighborhoods that, that have low internet access and turning them into hotspots. Uh, and so very quickly, every child in Philadelphia is gonna have internet access and they'll start online education. And 
Of course, one can look at a situation like that and go, oh my God, those kids needed internet access two days ago also and two weeks ago. Uh, why weren't we doing it then? And there's, certain, there's validity to that point of view, but another point of view, and, and the one that we'll be looking at today, is that in light of the pressure of the challenge of this crisis, things are coming to light that could dramatically impact us moving forward. We could see things, both, we could see things that need to change, but we can also see our own capacity to make change. You know, I'm sure if three months ago you had spoken to Comcast about uh, giving internet access to every kid in Philadelphia, they would have thought it was a good idea. But they probably would have thought, oh, it's going to be too, it's going to be impossible. You know, how are we going to get computers, you know, tablets to all those kids? And how are we going to get them internet access? They don't, you know, they don't, it would have felt, but all of a sudden in the light of a crisis like this, we find out, oh yeah, we can do this. You know, we just do it. Uh, it, it when it's important enough to do, we get it done. Uh, and I think we can see things about ourselves that could, that could be very positive. So what I want to speak about today is this, when I talk about opening your heart to the challenge of crisis, I'm talking about it at a, I want to speak about it today at a kind of cultural level, at a level that could impact history. That's not the only level at which this needs to happen, of course. And as I said, people are opening their hearts in all kinds of ways, taking care of their neighbors, taking care of themselves, taking care of their families, uh, <clears throat> offering opportunities to their communities that can be of help. Last night, uh, and this is a small thing, but it was fun. I contacted some of my friends. We're all, of course, in our houses. I'm self-isolating because I'd been traveling uh, about a week ago, but we organized a, a reading room night by Zoom. So last night, I had a group of friends. We were all on Zoom. We just read for two hours. Uh, in the house, because it's more fun to read together than it is to read alone in your house. So we're all finding ways to extend ourselves to create loving interaction during this time of, of isolation and where who knows what any of you are doing, probably all kinds of things uh, at a certain level of opening your heart and taking care of this situation. Because we, you know, we, we need to recognize that this is really a very difficult situation that involves a lot of hardship for all of us and for some people more than others. And anything we can do to alleviate suffering, to create more connectivity, more ease of being is needed. And I know, I know all of you are doing that in the ways that you can. Uh, and so that's the area which I didn't feel necessarily that I had much more to offer than I see is already being offered, except my uh, wholehearted gratitude to see so many people stepping up and giving in so many ways and, and to let you know how touched I am by it, as I'm sure all of you are. At this, at this other level, which certainly people are talking about, I wanted to share my particular point of view on culturally. And I want to tell you in this sort of introduction to our time together, 
I want to ask you to be prepared to move slowly with me through this. It's part of what I see as a great opportunity. There is a story, uh, a novel by Ken Kesey called Sometimes a Great Notion. It was also made into a movie some decades ago. It's about a family of loggers in the Pacific Northwest and their battle with uh, the unions, their battle to stay open during a logging strike. And the sort of climax of the story is that there's the father and two sons. They're the only ones left in the whole logging company that are willing to work because everyone else has been intimidated by the unions. And they need to produce a certain amount of lumber for a contract and they just decide they're gonna do it on their own, which is kind of an impossible feat for three people. And they just start working together so fast and so perfectly in unison. They're sort of having a spiritual experience of perfect unison, but they're moving faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then finally, something, something snaps, something breaks, logs go flying, someone gets pinned under a log and the whole thing, you know, turns into a, everything grinds to a halt. In some ways, when I see at least one aspect of what we're experiencing, it's almost like our whole society was moving faster and faster and faster and faster. And suddenly it's all ground to a halt. Um, I go walking through the streets of Philadelphia and there's hardly any cars hardly any people, nothing's open. Uh, and part of that feels, you know, I understand the economic consequences of that. And we're all experiencing hardship there and, and probably will. But I also feel the value of it. I feel the opportunity of slowing down. I'm, I've taken to speaking about that opportunity as an opportunity for a kind of global monasticism. You know, it's a, it's a global opportunity for us to, be, to experience the positive benefits of solitude and quiet and peace. And as I'm sure many of you have read about, the planet seems to be enjoying a little break uh, from all of our activity. And we as individuals can also benefit during this time. So I ask you to be prepared to move slow for what will be another hour and a half. I'll be sharing information with you that I think you'll find uh, both intriguing, interesting, and valuable. But the deeper value of this time together is the opportunity to sort of shift gears into a different consciousness, a different speed of consciousness. There's a recent book uh, called The Scent of Time, written by a South Korean philosopher, 
came into my awareness a few months ago. Talking about how the experience of duration in modern society has collapsed to nearly zero. You know, the, the, sense, the sense of the passage of time uh, has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter uh, because it tends to be measured in terms of the distance, you know, duration of time tends to be measured in terms of the distance between now and when our next accomplishment is completed. And because we want to accomplish things more and more quickly, the sense of duration has been getting smaller and smaller. But what I found fascinating about that is that when we slow down, when we allow ourselves to experience the passage of time, we don't, when we don't focus on an objective in the future that we want to get to, but we simply allow ourselves to experience the passage of time, our, our sense of time expands, slows down and it expands. And in that greater sense of duration, as we slow down, there are insights and revelations that can come to the surface that simply cannot happen when we're moving too fast through time. And so I want to invite you to slow down for the next hour and a half. Because that will create the conditions in which insights and perspectives and realizations can occur for you in ways that can't happen when our consciousness is moving quickly. This is a period of <clears throat> potentially, or one aspect of this time is a period of global monasticism. All over the world, people are living in solitude. <clears throat> I don't like the word isolation you know, because to me, it sounds like a punishment. It sounds like you're in prison and they put you in solitary confinement. Somehow solitude has more positive connotations for me, probably because I was so moved by the writings of the Catholic monk, Thomas Merton, and he wrote so beautifully about the value and benefit of solitude. And so we're all experiencing more solitude.
And in that solitude, it's interesting to just see what we see about this global situation. <clears throat> and one of the things that I see, and maybe the, the, one of the main things I want to share with you today, is that we are experiencing an extended period of global self-reflection. <clears throat> Many of you probably saw a movie called The Dish, D-I-S-H. It's a movie, I believe, made in either Australia or New Zealand. It's a magnificent film. If you haven't seen it, since we all have opportunities to watch movies right now, uh, maybe it's one you can find. But the, the dish, and I'll just tell you a little bit about it. The dish was about uh, the first moonwalk, the event of the first moonwalk. So uh, this was going to be a big moment. The first human being was going to step foot on the moon. And having been an engineer, I could appreciate this film because what what happens in the film is some short period of time before the moonwalk is supposed to happen you know they've been preparing this was going to be a big globally televised event they've been preparing for and they realized in some short period of time before the event occurred that the moment when the moonwalk was going to happen was going to happen at a time when all of the you know radio telescopes which had been which which were located in the northern hemisphere would not be in range to be able to pick up a signal and so they went on a hunt for a radio telescope big enough to hold the signal you know and they had wanted to have multiple ones so they had backups in case something went wrong with one of them but in the end they found the only radio telescope big enough that would be in range was located in a sheep paddock in new zealand uh, and the whole, the story of the movie is how the four people who were running that uh, had to get up to speed to do the biggest globally televised event of all time in a short period of time. Uh, and, the, and, and it was also about the NASA, the person that NASA sent to help them get it together. And it's a very, it's a touching film in a lot of ways. <clears throat> And of course, they managed to pull it together, you know, sort of by their bootstraps at the last minute. Uh, and besides the, the drama of, of pulling it all together in such a short time, the other thing the movie was really about and that it really portrayed very beautifully was the, the significance of the moment of a human being stepping on the moon for the first time. Of course, that's a significant moment anyway. The first time anyone has ever stepped on a surface other than the surface of the earth. It's a big moment, at least as far as we know. <clears throat> but what was emphasized, what you felt in this movie was, it was simply, it was important, part of the reason it was important was because a very significant number of people all over the world were watching at the same moment. 
and they knew they were watching at the same moment. They knew that that essentially the to a to a large extent, to an extent never before, the attention of human beings, almost as a global species, were trained on the same event, and that moment really shifted our you know the the sense of our, the sense of ourselves as a global species uh, it had a big impact and uh, clearly the coronavirus is is a much more tragic event obviously uh, it's it's tragic and as i've said this hardship and yet from one point of view it's like the lunar walk on steroids because for weeks and probably months, a huge portion of the world, countries across the globe are focused on the same event, which is the propagation of this virus. And the sense that we are in something together is so immediately palpable. Uh, and I think that alone uh, is potentially, you know, there's no way that we're going to get through this and not be changed. That's, that's part of the point I want to make today. There's, this is too big an event. It's, this is not something you just live through, suffer through, get over, and then move on as if it didn't happen. That's, there's no way that can happen. It's too big. But exactly what will result from this is, is not given. You know, there's, there's, there's a most positive result, a most positive shift that can occur, and there are much less positive and potentially negative ways that this could affect the world. So a big part of my desire to speak with all of you today has to do with the fact that what kind of shift occurs as a result of this is going to depend on the people who respond as a result, who, who take their insights, who take what they see as possible and amplify it. So let's just sit for a moment and then I wanna continue with some of those thoughts, but I wanna just meditate a little, which all that means right now is to just sit and do nothing. Allow yourself to relax. Sit still. Breathe slowly and comfortably. 
relax and let your body feel good. the news that we're hearing every day about the tragedies and the hardships. It impacts us physically. It lands in our bodies as tension. It's valuable to just relax the tension. As long as the tension in your body is left unaddressed and unchecked, it will be very hard for your heart and mind to expand. The tension and constraint in the body tends to become tension and constraint mentally and emotionally as well. So just relax. Notice the energetic vitality of the body. Allow the sense of vitality to expand. Just go slow. I'm feeling particularly abundant today. So if you're feeling the need for additional energy, feel free. I have more than enough.
you can just breathe it in. And if you're feeling abundant, you can make energy available for those who might be in need. Keep breathing. Breathe in life force, energy, and vitality with every in-breath. Breathe out tension and constraint with every outbreath. Notice if you reach a point where there's some part of you that's not willing to feel any better than you do. And see if you can gently allow yourself to feel better. Sometimes we reach a point and in light of the crisis where we feel like it's selfish to feel good. Not necessarily true. Feeling good can be 
the perfect foundation from which to care and to give. Notice your experience of consciousness. Hopefully you're feeling some increased peace and equanimity. The consciousness that you're experiencing right now is not just yours. It's your view on human consciousness. We all share consciousness. We have our unique vantage but we're not separate. So as you relax and feel good, consciousness relaxes and feels good. Don't just relax for yourself, relax for everyone. Relaxing is a gift. It's a gift that we receive, but it's also a gift that we give. This is not about denial. This relaxation is not a denial of how challenging things are. We're not pretending that things are less challenging than they are, that the hardships and the tragedies are not happening. We're not relaxed 
in the pretense that nothing is wrong. We're relaxed about the fact that we're going through challenge and hardship and tragedy. There's no way any of us can avoid this. None of us knows what's going to happen in the next few days or the next few weeks to us personally, to people we know, to the world in general. But we can relax. We can find a still place within and let that be the firm ground upon which we stand, ready and available. Available to love and care and give in whatever ways we are called upon to do. Finding our own inner indestructible center of fullness and peace is essential if we want to open our hearts to the challenge of crisis. Only from a place of profound fullness of being do we have something to give? And so we allow ourselves to relax and feel good in service of human consciousness.
open your heart. Allow yourself to care. about what will happen to the world. Allow yourself to care about how this global event will change us. Relax and let go. Find the place in yourself that is never afraid, that has never been afraid and could never be afraid. the place that is always calm and peaceful and content no matter what's happening. Now, as we bring this meditation to a close, just gently extend your love and gratitude to everyone gathered here today. To everyone that's experiencing hardship around the world, to everyone who is fighting illness, everyone who is caring for those who are fighting illness. 
and just to everyone who's living through this time of uncertainty. Extend your love and compassion. And then gently allow yourself to come back from the practice. What I wanted to do with this call was to gently and slowly and methodically allow us all to embrace the auspicious moment of global self-reflection that is, that we are currently in the midst of. And part of that is really taking on board, really letting in the fact <clears throat> that life is not going to be the same after this. As I said earlier, this is not an event that we get through and then return to the way things were. And if we look historically, we will see <clears throat> that this kind of Just these times of widespread hardship and challenge generate change in the world. Exactly what kind of change is what we need to be concerned about. The fact of change is a given, but what kind of change we can have some control over we can make some, we have some influence over. So I'm just gonna use one negative example just to make the point. Historically, after World War I, <clears throat> the, the war left Germany in such horrible economic dire straits that it became ripe for the rise of the Nazi party and the rise of, of Hitler's dictatorship. So everything changed due to the, the post-war hardship. But unfortunately, it changed in a very negative direction. <clears throat> but there are many examples of hardships that led to very positive changes. And one which I particularly want to invoke today because I see it 
I see it as one that inspires me. I see our, I see, I see people like you and me involved in this kind of change, at least potentially. Uh, and it's the shift that occurred during the Romantic Revolution. They say that the Romantic Revolution, or maybe before I say that, there's a professor at Rice University. Well, he was, he was in California, but he's now at Rice University. But I once heard him say in a lecture that we all live in the world that the Romantics dreamed of. They imagined it for us. And, and over time, uh, it has become the world we live in. You know, that's, that's how the world is formed. It's formed first in imagination. It's, it's dreamed by people and then it becomes manifest real. And so Timothy Morton said, we live in the world that the Romantics imagined The movement known as Romanticism, they say, had three, was instigated by three things. <clears throat> the hardship of the Industrial Revolution, the dramatic failure of the French Revolution, and the poetry and writings of Goethe. So the, the French Revolution was a, a, an attempt to topple the monarchy of France and in its place install something like the American, you know, what had happened in America decades earlier, a government by, of, and for the people, a democratic government, which was more aligned with the ideals of the enlightenment. Uh, But in the initial aftermath of the French revolution, uh, essentially it, it collapsed into mob rule and all of the nobility and their families and children were dragged into the streets and put to the guillotine uh, until, as was famously said, the streets of Paris ran red with blood. And many of the people who had supported the revolution, both in France and afar, who had seen it as the next great victory of the Enlightenment, were disheartened. they realized that there were they wondered what went wrong it was it was supposed to be perfect but what went wrong at the same time all of europe was in the throes of the industrial revolution you know which was creating worse and worse living conditions for more and more people in children working everyone working more or less to their death. Um, Poverty running rampant. There was no, there were no regulations, no constraints. People were 
being used. And in the midst of this, many artists and thinkers and poets found a voice, heard the voice of Goethe, the German poet, and they heard his deep examination of the human soul and our profound connection to nature. And, and what they started to realize was the rush for progress that had seemed so important and was so important had its limits. And poets like Coleridge and Wordsworth, some of the philosophers of Germany, Victor and Schelling, and other artists, painters, thinkers throughout Europe and eventually in the Americas began to express something different. They realized that maybe we had rushed too quickly into progress. And, you know, a great example of romanticism and romantic thought is the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. By the way, fascinating aside. Mary Shelley, Percy Bush Shelley, someone whose name I forgot, uh, and Lord Byron supposedly spent a weekend on a small island. <clears throat> and unfortunately, they were in a, in a castle. They had rented a castle or something, and they were going to spend the weekend there. And unfortunately, it poured rain the whole weekend. And so they decided that what they would do to make, you know, to make the time fun is they would uh, tell each other ghost stories. They would make up stories. And, and on that night, supposedly Mary Shelley made up the story of Frankenstein. Uh, and the person I can't remember made up the first version of the story of Dracula. Uh, but it wasn't Bram Stoker, as someone just suggested. It was someone before that. Bram Stoker then wrote the, the initial novel. But two amazing stories were written on that night. But Mary Shelley's story of Frankenstein is a fascinating one because it was really meant to illustrate to be a warning to to talk to humanity about the limits of human knowledge you know it's a story about a scientist who tries to create life tries to take parts of bodies and put them together and create life And of course, the result is both amazing and monstrous. 
So there's a, a romantic warning about the limits of science. But this is what was coming out because prior to the Romantic Revolution, it was more or less accepted that progress was always good. And suddenly people realized, well, that's too simplistic. Progress isn't always good. They were also looking at the ecological devastation of the Industrial Revolution. You know, so in, in America, one of our leading romantic figures would be Henry David Thoreau, who uh, wrote Walden, his memoirs of uh, time spent in the woods. And if you read Walden today, you'll realize that, that his concerns of the 1850s sound like they could have been written yesterday because he was seeing possibilities that needed to be paid attention to and they still need to be paid attention to. So this is what happens in times of global challenge. Under the pressure of challenge, we have the opportunity to revision the world, to see things differently. new possibilities for human consciousness will come to light. And many of us will see them. I'm sure many of us are already, are, are already seeing them. In the, in the midst of all the challenge and all the demands placed on us, at the level that we're currently leaning into, we're also seeing the opportunities we're also seeing the way the world could be. And out of this, some people will give voice to those possibilities. Some people will write the poetry of this age and they will paint the paintings of this age and they will create the business ventures that reflect a new sensibility. This is the opportunity to play a role in the recreation of the world. So yes, at one level, there's a global pandemic and there's all the hardship of that. And we all need to be 100% on board playing whatever role we can play to alleviate the immediate challenges and hardships for ourselves and others. And at the same time, we want to create the space in ourselves to embrace the monumental possibilities of this moment for the world. None of us tends to think that we could be one of those people. None of us tends to think that we are a Wordsworth or a Thoreau 
But Wordsworth wasn't a Wordsworth either. He was just a person. It's people that become champions of new possibilities, just ordinary people. And so if there's one thing I would really want to use this time for, it would be to encourage all of us to not discount ourselves from being someone who will play a role in generating the best possible outcome of this challenge. It's clear that this is going to be a difficult time. We have weeks and probably months that will be challenging. Very challenging. And it's clear that we will get through it. What's not as clear is how we or others will look back on this time in 20, 30, 40 years. What will we say about what happened? You know, this time is different than the Industrial Revolution because we have these, we have means of media communication like the internet that allows us to share a global experience in a way that was just never possible before. But how are we, how are we going to make ourselves available to be part of the creative process of a new future? How do we do that? You can't do it with your mind. You can't think your way into it. It is a matter of opening your heart. And when we talk about heart, We're talking about our capacity to be moved. And Milton's epic poet, Paradise Lost, he takes a journey through the various levels of hell. 
And the level that we are most familiar with, at least I was most familiar with, having been raised Catholic, is the level at which you're sort of floundering in a burning pit of molten lava, you know, burning for your sins, so to speak. But in Milton's Paradise Lost, there was a level below that. It's hard to imagine that there could be a level worse than that, but there was. It was reserved specifically for the angels who had, as the biblical story, story tells, who had rebelled against God. And they had the deepest level of hell And at that level, they lived frozen in a lake. They were completely frozen in a block of ice because, and, and what was hell about it was that they could no longer be moved by the divine. They were now, they had sealed themselves off. And in Milton's vision of hell, uh, sorry, I made a mistake. I'm talking about Dante's vision of hell. Dante's vision of hell hell is like a fortress, but it's not a prison to keep people in. That was Milton's version. Hell was, was a metaphorically a prison to keep bad people in. In Dante's version, hell is a fortress which people voluntarily put themselves in to keep the divine out. And so the deepest and worst place in that fortress is the frozen lake where you can no longer be moved by the divine. And so in this time, we aren't going to be able to think our way into a new future. We don't know what that future is. But we can allow ourselves to be moved into it. We can hold ourselves open, hold our hearts open, in a posture of deep listening. And we will see in the midst of this challenge, there are currents of new possibilities. They may be faint at the moment, but if we open ourselves in the right way, we can start to be moved by them, start to be moved into new inspirations and new possibilities. And then we just surrender and let go and give ourselves to a future that doesn't exist yet.
So let's take another few minutes to sit. And relax. Remember to move slowly. Allow yourself to experience the duration of time without impatience. As you sit and breathe, allow yourself to relax. Allow yourself to get quiet. Allow yourself to listen with your heart. Listen with your feelings. Don't listen to your feelings with your mind. Listen with your feelings. Don't look at your feelings. Feel with them.
You don't need to know what you're feeling in order to be moved by it. Attune yourself to divinity and be moved by her. You have a gift to give. You have a unique offering to the world. It's in you already. You are the perfect delivery system for that gift. There is no one better suited to deliver your gift than you are. You were designed for that delivery. your life, everything you've experienced, everything you've learned, everything that you are is perfectly matched to the gift you are here to give. Feel your gift. It doesn't matter if it's big or small.
it doesn't matter if it will affect thousands or just a few. You have something to offer, something to give. What is it? Relax into the unquestioned and unquestionable truth that you have something of tremendous and unique value to offer. See if you can find that gift. It lives in your heart as an energetic seed of possibility. It might just be a small vibrating source of inner inspiration. It might be something you've been aware of for years or something you're discovering for the first time. It might be something you've developed all kinds of ideas about, many that may be helpful, others not. It may also be something that you know nothing about. Find that energetic source of inspiration in your own heart. Feel it. Let it expand in your being. Relax around it. Relax into it.
Relax and go slow. Let go of impatience. This is not something that can be rushed. This is a birth process. It takes as long as it takes. There's no way to speed it up. Just surrender to it happening. Give yourself.
Okay, thank you all very much. Such beautiful, beautiful people. I managed to share everything I felt I had to say. And I'm hoping that it will inspire you to stay open to what part you are called to play in leveraging this moment for a profound shift to occur in human consciousness. Susan, I am also so grateful for the community that uh, is here today. And yes, if you have anything to share, please share in the chat room. I'll try and read them as they go by. Amy says she wants to be moved in a hundred different directions. Well, we'll all be called in many directions. There are many different levels of response required in this moment. And Liz Stone, she says the new world, it's clear that the new world will be created through the heart and not the mind. I think the new worlds have always been created through the heart. They later get usurped by the mind, but the initial inspiration is always from love. Chuck, you're very welcome. I'm glad that you enjoyed the perspective. I'm so glad. Uh, I think Holly says she feels so much more positive. That's certainly something I would hope for, uh, so that we can find the positivity even in this. My heart is an open book to wonder into. Very nice. Shifting from fear and anxiety to opening the heart, someone said, Pauline. Such a beautiful gathering of people. I have felt <clears throat> over the last two weeks, three weeks ago, I was on retreat in Brazil 
more or less oblivious to the fact that there was a global pandemic exploding in the world. <clears throat> but two weeks ago, I encountered the reality uh, and rushed back. But in many ways, I felt like all the decades of spiritual work that I and many of us have done, in a sense, were all for a moment like this, a moment when we could reach beyond, yes, address the challenges, as I said, not deny them or avoid them, address them wholeheartedly and reach beyond them to the higher possibility. And I, of course, want everyone to be safe and to keep the, those closest to you safe. That's the first line here is being safe ourselves and keeping those closest to us safe. I'm sure you all are, and I want to encourage you to continue. I want us all to be healthy, I want us all to be here in 20, 30, 40 years so that we can see the fruits of all this effort, you know, at least the beginnings of it. So beautiful. Okay, let's just sit for a last minute just with a wide open heart together, sharing love and compassion. Just open yourself up. If you're feeling abundant, let it flow, make it available. If you're feeling like you need support, feel free to breathe it in. We're here for each other and for the world. Go ahead, really let yourself open if you feel moved to. The opening feels like ecstasy feels like ecstasy running through your system. You'll feel it all over, just let it open. A portal for tremendous energy, a source of energy that always exists. Your heart might race, just open. Breathe in. Thank you all so much. Such a beautiful time spent with you.
I wish I could hug every single one of you, but not today, unfortunately, maybe someday. But for the moment, virtual hugs is all we can give, uh, but they're just as good. I love you and I look forward to seeing what happens as we all move through this together. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.